Travis Wingfield. I'm ready to go in, coach. Just give me a chance. I know there's a lot riding on it, but it's all psychological. Just got to stay in a positive frame of mind. You are Locked On Dolphin, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphin, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, Miami! What's up, Dolphins? Welcome into the Wednesday, February the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and I'm here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we talk about Miami's lack of identity and how to fix that problem, diving into my piece up live right now on LockedOnDolphins.com. Also, Josh McDaniel spurns the Colts and returns to the Patriots. We'll dive into that. And of course, last but not least, we continue Rivalry Week by talking with my two buddies from the Rock Pile Report, Drew and Chris, on the Buffalo Bills offseason. But first, I have to remind you guys, by now you know the drill, to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, leave us a rating and review, follow me on Twitter at NFL. follow the show at LockedOnFins, check out LockedOnDolphins.com for all your written daily Dolphins content needs. As I said, there's tons and tons of good stuff up there right now for you guys to check out. And of course, check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked on Heat podcast and the Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. And let's go ahead and jump right in to first down. That's another Miami Dolphins. And it is first down here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And the first topic we are talking about on tonight's show is, of course, the lack of Miami's identity on offense and just how they have struggled to kind of develop an identity really since the early 2000s. And this is a team that has always had something you can kind of, you know, put your mark on or something they've been able to put a mark on. And whether it was the 70s with the power running game, the three-headed backfield with Jim Kick, Mercury Morris, and Larry Sanka, or you go to the 80s, or of course, the, the no-name defense as well, so the running game and the dominant defense. And then you go to the 80s with Dan Marino, the high-flying passing attack, the greatest show through the air down there in Miami, the greatest show on surface, I will call it. And then you go into the late 90s when Reno retires and Shula takes off into the retirement as well. And you have the Dave Wanstead, I guess, era, if you want to call it, with all those dominant defensive players from Zach Thomas and Jason Taylor to Brock Marion, Sam Madison, Patrick Sertan, all those guys that made up a dominant defense. And they had that identity for so long. You know, the defensive December collapses that we always saw every single year. So at least you had that identity and something you could really put your hat on for the Miami Dolphins. They haven't had that since Ricky Williams retired. They haven't had a a great defense. They haven't really had anywhere close to a good offense. It's just been kind of muddling around with kind of plugging holes here and there without any real rhyme or reason. So I put up a post today on LockedOnDolphins.com, a deep dive into three different paths I could take. One going towards a dominant defense, one would be going towards a ground control or a, a ball control ground game running type of offense, and then the other was a high flying type of passing offense. And to me, I think the easiest path to go in terms of getting one dominant area, and that was the focus of the piece, getting one dominant area rather than just being like okay in several areas and having one thing you do really, really well. And I think the one that the Dolphins have the most pieces for in, in order to go ahead and pursue that is a dominant defense. The only reason I say that is because I know they were bad the last couple of years in terms of stats and all that stuff that goes into that, but they have the building blocks there. You have a bunch of young pieces, and I've talked about it a million times. Xavier Howard, Bobby McCain, Cordray Tankersley, Charles Harris, Devon Godshaw, Raekwon McMillan. You have the veterans on the back end with Rashad Jones and TJ McDonald. You have Cam Wake still on the fold and Dominican Sue. A bunch of guys that you can really say, okay, I can see where these guys can really contribute to a great defense. And so if you just really focus your efforts this offseason going at like Tahir Whitehead and you spend a first-round draft pick on a Dur- James or Amika Fitzpatrick or Marcus Davenport and you come back in round two and you do it again you could really build a defensive unit that is young and good and grows together and you could be a great stop unit that allows 
you know, 15, 16 points a game. And then you don't need that much on offense to, to be a great team. So that's one avenue. The other avenue I talked about was the ball control offense with the running game, the heavy running game. And the reason I, I focus on that area is because of the possibility of running the ball so well in the heat in Miami. We've seen plenty of teams crumble over the years. You think back to 2014 opening day with no Sean Moreno, where he just pounded the Patriots into oblivion. Back to 2005, did the same thing to the Denver Broncos. These Northeast teams can't come down to Miami and deal with the Dolphins running game when they get it cranked up in that heat. So that was another avenue to explore. I think that's the hardest one to go after just because the Dolphins offense has a little bit more finesse than it does grit to it. So that's probably the hardest one to go ahead and turn over. The third was a heavy passing attack based around like Ryan Tannehill, Jarvis Landry, Devontae Parker, Kenny Stills, and this, I guess, decent pass blocking offensive line. Obviously, if you're going to do that, you have to sink your resources into the tight ends, offensive linemen. You probably got to find yourself a premier number one receiver because to me, a number one receiver is a guy that can beat one-on-one coverage on third down and beat double coverage as well when you need him to in the big in the big moments. The Dolphins just don't have that receiver. So those are some kind of paths they could take. I think that's not going to happen. The Dolphins are probably going to stay right down the middle and go after fixing holes like they always have and Mike Tannenbaum just doing what he does and just plugging holes with no really rhyme or reason to what he's doing. So check that out, LockedOnDolphins.com, up right now. Next, I wanted to talk a little bit about the rumor that Josh Rosen is the Dolphins target. And this was a guy that tweets things out. He doesn't really have a great track record. He was adamant the Dolphins were not going to sign a Dominican Sue. He's at NFL Draft Bites on Twitter. He said today that he has in good faith the Dolphins want to target Josh Rosen, trade up and go get him. And there's all this smoke around Ryan Tannehill is because they want to make that trade up. So just just reporting the news to you guys, I don't believe it to be true for a second, but that's something that's out there. And I guess I could see why Adam Gaze would like Josh Rosen. He's the kind of quarterback that he would covet, but I don't really put a whole lot of validity into it. And lastly, before we get to the guys from the Rock Power Report, my buddies Drew and Chris over there from Buffalo talking Buffalo Bills offseason. Josh McDaniels turns down the Colts last minute, gets cold feet, walks away, goes back to New England, and now he's the offensive coordinator in New England again. And the reason this is on the Dolphins podcast is because you know, the Patriots have dominated us for so long now, dominated the division, dominated the NFL for so long, and it really affects us more than just about anybody, you know, besides the Jets and Bills, we're on this together in terms of hating the Patriots, but it's just news because I feel like there has to be an end reason to this. He's not going to walk away from that job and basically blackball the entire NFL to the point that where he's not going to get a head coaching job for a long, long time unless it's with the Patriots. So that's why I have to believe there's some type of contingency plan. Maybe it's this year. Pro Football Talk tweeted out that it could be this year the Bill Belichick retires. That would be amazing for us. Maybe it's next year. Maybe he has a year. He, um, he wants to go one more run at it and then hand the job over to Josh McDaniel. So we'll see what happens there. So much crazy stuff going on. It's going to be a fun offseason. And let's go ahead and get into it with the Rock Pile Report, guys. On the other side, talking about the Buffalo Bills offseason and the Lockdown Dolphins podcast at Winkle NFL at Lockdown Fins. And it is Rival Week here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast, and we are joined by my two of my good friends from the Rock Pile Report, Chris and Drew, to talk Buffalo Bills offseason. Guys, how is it going tonight? Oh, it's going. Oh, we just finished recording our podcast, encapsulating what a boon to the to Buffalo Bills fans everywhere it was to watch that Super Bowl and watch the Patriots lose. I mean, we were the highest rated uh, market in the country. Yeah, we beat Boston and Philadelphia. I mean, <laughs> but, you know, hey, I'm over here living the dream 24-7, 24 hours a week, seven days a year. 
That's how I do it. <laughs> if you don't recognize that voice, that is none other than Chris Kruger, the voice of the intro for Locked On Dolphins. So big thanks to you for doing that. He makes all my sound drops and everything. So really big uh, thanks for that and a big appreciation of that. So let's get into this, guys, and talk about the Buffalo Bills. The start of 2017, obviously you guys broke the biggest drought in sports history in terms of going to the playoffs. Give me your overall thoughts on the 2017 Bills and just kind of where you are today on February the 7th. Well, I'll, I'll level with you. I think that this is a roster that could go either way. I mean, as a, as a whole, you're talking about a football team that came into the season where most people thought we would win five games with the talent we had on hand. Me and included. at times, we showed that we have the holes necessary to provide that. But we have a coaching staff that, I don't know, they, they inspired these guys to play to a level beyond themselves. And that's how we made the playoffs. So now you're looking at a roster that really should be bottom of the league, talent-wise, position by position. So there's going to be a lot of turnover specifically at the, on the defense. I mean, we're an old team when you really take a look at all of it put together. Yeah, our defensive line has major holes. We traded Darius. We don't know if Kyle Williams is coming back. So I think whether it's free agency or the draft, I would assume the draft, we're going to have to address – uh, the defensive line. Kyle Williams is one of those guys that kind of spans, like he doesn't really fall into the rivalry in terms of the Bills and Dolphins. He's one of those guys you just have to love no matter what. So I'll be glad to see him retire if he decides to do that because he's been kicking our butt for a long, long time now. So let's get to the really important question here. The one that I talked to Kyle Smith yesterday about the Jets and it pertains to you guys as well. The Tyrod Taylor saga, let's call it that, has been one of the strangest quarterback sagas in the NFL in recent history. And so I'm curious to ask you guys, what is your ideal like the ideal outcome at quarterback for the Bills in 2018, and what's the backup plan? Well, uh, we talked about it tonight on our show. The uh, Tyrod Taylor admitted that he will not take a pay cut in order to stay with the Buffalo Bills. So personally, to me, that's him drawing a line in the sand, telling the front office, you either need to cut me now so I can go seek my fortunes elsewhere, or you need to make me the guy and make me confident that I'm the guy. And in all honesty, I don't see that happening. I mean, Tyrod Taylor has statistically been one of the poorest quarterbacks in the NFL. Our, our offense was 30, 31st or 32nd in the league in passing. He has been, he's like 37th in the league since, since he started as a quarterback in passing yards, which means that other Teams have backup quarterbacks who average more yards per game than Tyrod. And it's it's excruciating to watch him perform during the season because I, I feel like we say it every week. He's a see-it-and-then-throw-it quarterback. Yep. He's not going to th- throw people open. And I'm, I'm sick of him as my quarterback. I mean, you know, we're not going to pay him. We're not going to keep him around. He's one way, it's almost like for people who understand, when you watch the game of football, I have never seen an offense make – scoring touchdowns look as difficult <laughs> as the Buffalo Bills with Tyrod Taylor as the quarterback. They make they make getting into the end zone look like a Herculean effort, like you're <laughs> trying to move mountains. And yet that's not what it's supposed to be because some people just make it, even average quarterbacks, make it look easy. So with that being said, I honestly believe that the, the planet quarterback has to be You've got a draft full of guys who are prospects. There's a couple blue chips, or so you think. 
Yeah. <laughs> there's a couple guys who are developmental guys, and then there's a lot of unknowns. I honestly believe that the Bills' plan is going to be to draft the guy who falls to them. I mean, they, there's, you know, every college kind of reports on who scouts who. The Bills have scouted Mason Rudolph more than any other NFL team. I think that's partially being knowing that that's the guy that's going to fall to us. So I need to know everything about him. I need to watch him play in every set, every set of circumstances. I think that there's going to be a drafting of a developmental guy and you bring in a free agent on a, on a bridge contract or you trade for a guy who has a short, a small cap hit and a short term deal. And that becomes your quarterback stable. I mean, I, I really don't see Tyrod coming back. Not at $18 million. There's other options that, that could be had for less. I think the only way to get a quarterback is to get one through the draft. And I've said it before. I honestly think that this draft class is going to be the best since 2004. So that that includes Eli, Ben, and, and uh, Eli, Big Ben, and Philip Rivers. And obviously go back to 2012 and what you have with Russell Wilson, what Andrew Luck was, Kirk Cousins. I'm going to put Ryan Tannehill in there because he's my boy. So just to kind of, I, I would agree with you. I think this draft class does have potential to be that good. I, I love Baker Mayfield. I love Josh Allen. I think that Rosen and Darnold could be good players. I like Lamar Jackson. You mentioned Mason Rudolph, good player, Luke Falk. I mean, the list goes on and on and on. And just hearing you guys talk about that potential, like, kind of developmental guy with the bridge guy. I mean, this offseason, just hearing you guys talk about that just brings up the giddiness that I get from the sh- the moving and shaking that happens from March and April because, I mean, you guys could go in so many directions. You could trade up. You could stay put. You could take a guy later. You could sign Teddy Bridgewater. You could sign Kurt. I mean, it just it's crazy the amount of options that there are. So with that in mind, obviously quarterback is the biggest one that you have to address. What are the biggest holes the Bills have to address this offseason outside of quarterback? Not that I know much about it, but I would say uh, linebacker. Well, Chris is right. Defense is actually where most of our holes exist. I mean, when you look at the offensive side of the football, you can point to a couple positions. You can say, oh, wide receiver. They didn't have a lot of explosive talent. You're right. We didn't. But Kelvin Benjamin proved in that Patriots game that he can just outsize people. Zay Jones, with a, Zay Jones yes, he had a disappointing rookie campaign. But coming into the month of November, Pro Football Focus put out the piece that 50% of the balls that have been thrown his way were deemed uncatchable. You can't, as, as a, when you're a wide receiver who's not a burner, you're, you're, you're kind of upside is your catch radius and sure hands. You have to be thrown catchable balls. If not, why are you on the field? So with that being said, wide receiver really isn't as big of a need as people make it to be. Offensive line to me is actually something of a concern. I look at the right tackle and the right guard position. That's something that you might look to upgrade in free agency this year. But that's about it. I mean, at running back, at fullback, there's really nothing else. So I look at the defensive side of the ball. We're an older linebacking core that really isn't that athletic. Preston Brown is going to be a free agent. By all accounts, he's looking to get paid. I've heard it from a reliable source that he's looking for a contract similar to Christian Kirksey from the Cleveland Browns. Oh, wow. Who got almost $7 million a year. Now, I get it. Preston Brown led the NFL in tackles. Great. Wonderful. What is that? What is the value in that? Though? Because Paul <laughs> Pozlozny used to be that guy. Yeah. Would you say that Paul Pozlozny is a great linebacker? Nope. Neither is Kiko Alonso. He got that. Exactly. That's <laughs> my point. 
So the Bills need speed at linebacker. They need guys who can be true three-down players. Matt Milano, he was a late-round draft pick this year. That you hated. I hated the pick. <laughs> he came in. Oh, no, I'll admit it. I hated his pick. I thought it was a wasted draft pick. Instead, he came in, and when he actually got a hold of a starting job, he made impact plays week after week right up until he got hurt. So we have one three-down linebacker on the team. If we can land another impact linebacker with speed to run sideline to sideline, to play in coverage, to stop the run, that could change the entire face of the defense. It's going to start at linebacker, and it's going to trickle down to defensive line. Why do you think that Preston Brown led the NFL in tackles? Our defensive line was a sieve. I'm sorry, without Marcel Darius, there was nobody to take up, eat up space. There was nobody to occupy blockers. And in the rushing attack, we got gashed week after week after week without Darius on the roster. Our linebackers were left to clean up the mess. I'll tell you, fixing the defensive tackle and defensive end positions is paramount to fixing our defense and getting this team not just to the playoffs, but in title, in contention for some kind of a title, whether it's the AFC title, whether it's a championship, whatever it may be, it's going to start with that front seven, and that's where they have to focus in free agency. I'm glad to hear you say that because I know that you guys were stoked about the playoffs this year, and you know I was last year in 2016 as well, but I think once you get a taste of it, you realize like it's it's cool to a certain extent. It's cool to break yeah. a streak, but then you, you really get the craving for much more, and obviously the Patriots news going on, we're all, I guess... Chomping at the bit, trying to figure out who's going to yeah, slide yeah, in there. Yeah, reserved excitement about who could be the next one up. And so we're all in that same boat. They are Drew Greer and Chris Kruger. They are at Rock Power Report on Twitter, the Rock Power Report podcast with the Buffalo Bills out there. They do a show once a week. Great stuff from them. If you're interested in Buffalo Bills content, I realize you guys are probably not, but that's what we have them here for, talking about the Buffalo Bills. And we got more to talk about these, more to talk about with these guys here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast. We've got the guys from the Rock Power Report podcast, Chris and Drew here with us talking about the Buffalo Bills offseason ahead. And I wanted to ask you guys, who are some potential surprise cuts you could see taken off the roster? Because you look in Miami, we have a couple of guys that are pretty obvious, in my opinion. Julius Thomas is going to be gone. Lawrence Timmons is going to be gone. I hope Mike Pouncey is gone. We'll see what happens to that. And you guys have your guys, I'm sure, as well, that are pretty obvious moves. But every year there seems to be a couple of guys around the league that you're like, whoa, that guy got cut. That's crazy. Is there anyone in Buffalo that, that could kind of give you that reaction? I think that it's going to be a part of our dead narrative segment that we're doing on our show this off season. And I know Drew's got a huge issue with it. And I've seen people on Twitter and other message boards bring up the fact that, well, maybe we should cut uh, defensive end Jerry Hughes. It would be a mistake in my mind. Here's one of the cuts I actually see happening. And I, I don't even call it a cut because in my mind, it's a trade. You are going to get rid of a guy and you view it as addition by subtraction. Cordy Glenn, starting left tackle. This is a guy who's proven that he can be a durable and reliable starter at left tackle in the NFL. Except we traded up to get a rookie at tackle last year, not knowing what he could be. When Cordy Glenn went down, this guy filled in for him and was, according to Pro Football Focus, the most consistent performer on our offensive line. Now you've got a left tackle who is kind of coming back to a position where he's no longer needed, and he's making $16 million a year. But left tackles don't grow on trees. There are franchises like 
the new like the New York Giants, like the Indianapolis Colts. Like there are teams out there who need tackles who can play NFL caliber football, high level NFL caliber football. I honestly believe that Cordy Glenn will be an offseason casualty. When you take a look at what we could gain from his, I don't know, from his departure. That's a great name to give me because I, I personally would never see that coming, and that makes total sense with the rookie that it was It was the Alabama kid. Or am I thinking of this wrong? No, he played for Temple. He was a right tackle. Deion Dawkins, Temple. that's right. I was thinking Deion of the Dawkins, Quanjo. And nobody thought – I didn't give him any credit. Again, I hated this whole draft. I thought that he was a bum pick. <laughs> I didn't understand the trade-up. And then we plugged him in at left tackle. And you just saw the kid. He had one bad snap. He gave up his very first NFL snap. He gave up a sack to Von Miller. <laughs> and then the for the rest of the Denver game, he didn't give up a single pressure. Nobody penetrated. And he was a gra- he was a rogue grader in the run game. I remember and from that game on, he was a just a beast. Now, it's, it's fun, interesting to hear that because I remember hearing his name attached to Miami a lot during draft season, so I guess you guys got the better end of that. But talking about Cordy Glenn and what you could save in terms of cutting him, do you, I, I don't really, I'm not privy to your guys' cap situation. I know you guys have two first-round draft picks based on that, uh, Tredavious, or the trade back to get Tredavious White, which was one of my favorite moves in the draft last year. But do you see the Bills being big spenders in free agency, and could they possibly be big movers on draft day? Well, this is it. It all depends on what we can do here in the offseason. If you trade a Cordy Glenn, you're freeing up. Now, everyone knows that the move to cut Tyrod Taylor is just a foregone conclusion. Right now, we're sitting at $31 million in cap space. If you cut Tyrod, you're going to free up about uh, $11 million, $12 million. So you're going to end up in the 40, the low 40, 40 million range. If you can trade Cordy Glenn, you're freeing up $16 million in cap space. That's going to put you in the 50s, which is right up there with the Jets, with Denver, with everybody who considers themselves contenders for these big free agents. Now, I will say that based on the verbiage from Brandon Bean, he I don't see some of these moves happening. I don't think they're going to be big spenders in free agency. Brandon Bean flat out said in a press conference, you know, he took a look at this year's press, this year's cap space and said, well, you know, we uh you know, we look okay. We've made some moves. We're, we're heading in the right direction. But next year, we're going to be really rosy. He talked about uh, responsible spending during and, free agency. And he used the phrase, much like Sean McDermott used the quote, the process. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone kind of hooked on that phrase, the process. Brandon Bean has used the quote, responsible spending. Any any Bills fan out there who's prepping themselves to see a huge splash in free agency, I think you're setting yourself up for disappointment. I think ultimately what you're going to see is a very frugal front office for one more year, unless they can clear significant cap space. If the Cordy Glenn trade doesn't happen, there's nothing happening on the free agent front. And even if it does they may not be willing to just burn all of that cap space in one offseason. They may want to wait until they have a ton of it and then really go out and make moves after what they think will be a stellar draft. 
I think that's pretty smart too. I wish Mike Tannenbaum could take a page out of that book because we know he's <laughs> probably going to go out there and blow a little money we do have on on something stupid. So, I mean, bad contracts abound, and that that really leads into my next question for you there, Drew. Talking about the the uh, free agency and what could you guys could expect, I want to kind of twist this question a little bit compared to what I gave you before the show. So bear with me here. But my question to you is, who is the big free agent ticket that you? I, I, I mean, maybe it's not a big big dollar type of guy, but the guy that you really are focused on that you want and who is the guy you want to pick? I guess let's call it pick. Is it 22 and 23 or 21 and 22? Give me the two guys you want those picks also. I'll tell you this. This is how it starts. You want to talk about responsible spending. You look at a guy like star little Now this is a guy that Brandon Bean was involved in the recruiting of. He was involved in the scouting of, I guess they drafted him. He has never been a dynamic pass rusher, but he is tops in the league. He reminds me of Holote Nada in the sense that, yes, he, 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 he very rarely rushes the passer, but nobody eats space like this guy. You can't run up the middle on him. Given his lack of a pass rush ability, he's probably only going to run you four to five million, but he could be a change to the face of this Bills defense. That's a free agent I've got my eyes on. And then when I look at some other players that we could target, I've got secondary. There's actually some really cheap guys, and I want to be the first one to go on record on your podcast and say it, because I'm going to say it on my own. I just haven't gotten the opportunity. Ross Cockrell. Yeah. Remember the name. The Buffalo Bills drafted him in the fourth round and then cut him before he ever saw game action. Well, guess what? He has quietly been... He played for the Steelers, was their number two cornerback, and was very productive. He played for the Giants this year as their number two cornerback and finished the last seven games of the season as Pro Football Focus's highest-rated cornerback. That's crazy. It's insane. And his name won't bring a lot of recognition, but he is quietly productive. He's a guy that I could see our team reaching out to and being like, look, you're good. Let's bring you in. Let's get you back here. Get you back here in a Bills uniform, and let's see what you can do on a—I don't know—a a sizable contract, considering what you've been offered before that. I think that's a good way to go, too, man. Because those those lower level bargain types of players in free agency are the ones that you really can make a big splash on because you're not spending all your money at the bank, so to speak, in a free agency bank, and you really put yourself in an advantageous cap situation going forward, not spending on the big guys like freaking Mike Wallace or Brandon Albert or whoever the hell you oh, want. Oh no, to call. Tra- Travis. <laughs> Let, let me bring you a stat that I researched on my own podcast. No team in the in the free agency era has ever won a Super Bowl when two players on the team make up when two players, just two, make up more than 20% of the salary cap. No team has ever won a Super Bowl like that. Well, there you go with Andama Kinsu and I guess Ryan Tannehill probably making up that much for the Dolphins. So here we are, I guess. We'll, uh, we'll, see you in tw- we'll see you in 2019, I guess. But before I let you guys go on the show tonight, this is one of my favorite thing- the things to kind of weigh in terms of you know offseason predictions. I-, I got it from Pro Football Weekly. I used to always grab their magazines before you know the internet was a thing and read it cover to cover and learn about every team. And they had a thing in there that was best case scenario and worst case scenario for the team. So in a perfect world, the quarterback plays well, the injuries are they, they aren't that bad there there's not a lot of injuries you know everyone gets kind of their best performances of the year what is the best case scenario for the buffalo bills and then also on the flip side the wheels fall off injuries happen you know what's what's the worst case scenario for the bills in 2018 and best case 
I think the best case scenario for the Bills in 2018, I mean, we do play the NFC North, and I believe we play the AFC South. Yep. And man, green, playing like Green Bay, Minnesota, Houston, Indianapolis, if luck is back. I think a, like a best case scenario would probably be something along the lines of like 10 and 6 and a wild card spot. And then as far as the worst case scenario, just the wheels come off and we go 2 and 14 with two wins against Miami. <laughs> <laughs> for me, for me, I'm a little more pragmatic. What I look at is I say, OK, how many elite quarterbacks do we play? Because you don't lose games in the NFL to guys who are average quarterbacks very often. You don't. Those games turn out to be dice rolls. Elite quarterbacks, we do play a handful of them. But nobody knows what Deshaun Watson is. I'm not willing to concede anything to the Colts because we beat Andrew Luck when he was supposed to be in his prime. So ultimately, what I see is a team that could go as high as, as Chris said, 10-6 and six. I think the low watermark for us is probably six wins, which sucks because if our team is terrible, if, if the season goes miserably, we still won't finish in the top of the top of the draft, meaning we won't get our first crack at the next quarterback crop coming out. So we better land our guy this year. And that's basically like the, t- the 2017 Dolphins playing as bad, as bad as you can the first couple of months and still finding a way to get to four and two. So I feel yep. you on that. And it's not, a, it's not a fun place to be. It's NFL purgatory. They are Drew Greer and Chris Kruger from the Rock Power Report at Rock Power Report on Twitter. Guys, thank you so much for coming on the show tonight. Thanks for having us. Again, they are Chris and Drew from the Rock Power Report. Big thanks to those guys for coming on the show tonight and talking to me about the Buffalo Bills offseason. And that will do it for tonight's podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating and review. And check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. And of course, check out at Locked On NFL on Twitter as well as their Facebook page. LockedOnDolphins.com for all your daily written Dolphins content needs. We'll be back tomorrow with another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Rivalry continues with the New England Patriots and Mark Schofield for your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.